IBA Talk, the Insurance Business America podcast. This episode is presented in partnership with Axis Insurance. As the cyber risk and coverage landscape ever evolves, how can insurers stay ahead of risk and meet this critical moment? To discuss this and more, we are joined by Dan Truman, Global Head of Cyber and Technology, and Max Perkins, Head of Strategy and Innovation for the Global Cyber Technology Unit. Welcome to IBA Talk, the Insurance Business America podcast. I'm Bethan Moorcraft, Deputy Editor at Insurance Business. And in this episode, we're giving a nod to Cybersecurity Awareness Month by tackling some of the biggest themes in cyber insurance today with the help of two global cyber experts from Axis Insurance. Alongside me, I have Dan Truman. He's the Global Head of Cyber and Technology at Axis. And Max Perkins, who is Head of Strategy and Innovation for Axis's Global Cyber and Technology Unit. Over the next 20 minutes or so, Dan and Max will discuss why the current moment is so critical for the cyber market and how failing to meet that moment could not only mean the end of an insurer, but the end of the market at some point if appropriate steps are not taken to improve the underlying risk and underwriting situation. So without further ado, Dan, Max, welcome to IBA Talk. Hi, thank you, Bethan. Thanks for having us on board. Thanks, Bethan. Good to be here. That's great. It's going to be uh, an exciting conversation. Um, so, so let's get started, perhaps, uh, with, a, with a macro look at the market as a whole. The cyber insurance market is in a state of evolution as it matures. We have transforming risks, increased historical data, lots of potential for new products and innovation. So, Dan, Max, what makes this moment in time such a unique period for the cyber insurance market? I think it's, it's a great question. I mean, I've been very, very fortunate enough. I, I sort of my background in, in the cyber insurance market goes back to when we were first looking at sort of Y two K right backs, um, you know, twenty years ago. And I, I uh, I've sort of seen a lot of, of development. And I think we are going through this rapid state of evolution because fundamentally we, we spend a lot of time trying to work through you know um, understanding the market, understanding the data looking more appropriately at that data and, and building products that, that are most appropriately, you know, facing the market and, and giving our clients, you know, the, the products they absolutely need. And here we are sort of facing a situation where with the increasing prevalence of ransomware, uh, the increasing prevalence of, um, um, you know, fundamentally um, information technology in people's lives, um, we've got an issue where the threat um, on a daily basis is increasing, as well as the, you know, the fundamental need for technology. I don't know whether, you know, what you think about that, Matt? No, I completely agree with you, Dan, um, in that the threat continues to move, and uh, we're finally in a position where we're able to, to achieve a better understanding of what those threats are and how they can be mitigated and, um, and more properly insured. I agree with you. And I think that's it, isn't it? It's, it's what we're always trying to do in the insurance. And we're no different within the cyber market to any other part is try to turn, you know, data into information and information into insight. And, and what we've got now is, is actually a range of data um, like we've never had. Um, we've got information developing from that data. And we're actually be able to start making some, some genuine conclusions. Um, it's, you know, it is a very exciting time. 
Absolutely. With, with all of that in mind, you know, this is an exciting time. We have all of this data, as you said, we're starting to get amazing insights. How important is it for cyber underwriters today to have expertise in cyber risk, to understand that threat landscape, to, to be data literate and, and sort of be able to use all of this, this sort of cyber gold dust that we have? <laughs> I love that phrase. <laughs> I, I think, um, I, I think what is absolutely essential is this, this requires a mixture of, of, of techniques, talents, knowledge, um, and, you know, to get that insight. Uh, and there is not a one dimensional view of this. Um, it's absolutely essential that, that you take a sort of a, a 360 holistic view of the risk. And, and we've desperately tried to do that. We've tried to look at it from all the angles we can. Uh, in fact, you know, even published a publication called 35 Views of Risk, uh, 35 Views of Cyber Risk, and for that exact reason. And I think the reason, the way we, we feel that that's, that's here is because we've built a team that isn't just about underwriting. It's about technical expertise. It's about questioning. And it's about not being afraid to, you know, to learn and to accept that what you knew before isn't appropriate. And, you know, it's that old sort of classic, whether it's attributed to Maynard Keynes or was Maynard Keynes, quote, you know, I define my hypothesis and if my information changes, so should my hypothesis. And we're constantly redefining our hypothesis. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. And in, 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 in in, it's part of the reason why I'm here at Axis. I was excited to join because the team is not just a team of, of pure underwriters, but it's a team that includes security experts um, within our training and advisory unit, a team that includes incredibly well-versed actuaries uh, who, who sit around us and help us to understand our pricing, our loss, our expected loss, um, where where could systemic risk come in uh, versus what is a trend, you know, something, you know, that is very concerning and, and we're going to talk about is around ransomware. And I personally think of that as a trend. Um, but, but that's not to completely disparage our competitors by any means, because I think it's just a matter of how they operate and teams which are, you think about, you know, the, a Lloyd Syndicate set up. It's an underwriter with some capital who's able to have an expertise in a certain field and deploy that capital effectively. And um, and but they're relying on potential, probably relying on third-party resources to to further enhance their expertise. So I th- you know I think it just happens in different ways to answer your question, Beth Mullen. And I do think you know that's very important. And, and you ask the question, is it important at this time? I think it's especially important at this time because we're we're better able to um, again capture data thanks to a, a change in the market where we're at a maturing point in the market over those 20 years that Dan was talking about where um, previously we were really just trying to sell a policy and, and make sure that we had growth in a market that needed to be there and have a place in the industry and, and maturing in that point where just like property and casualty we should collect risk level data and be able to analyze it in order to be able to make sure that the, that the industry, the cyber insurance segment of the industry is sustainable. And, and also that, you know, hey, it, it, one of the things that I, I know all of our buyers would love is to make sure that there is some um, predictability and consistency across the market. And, and the underlying data is how insurance, um, it, it does that. So I, I think, you know, now is actually that time and it is very critical. Hmm. I mean, in, in 
Dan, I think you just mentioned uh, having sort of a holistic view of cyber risk. Um, okay, someone's dog in the background. <laughs> um, it must like cyber. The, uh... <laughs> exactly. Sorry, coming in my door. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. Um, the other, uh, I think another phrase that I hear people using a lot is this sort of value added services in cyber. Now, I know that that that's relates to, you know, the pre and post breach services that, that come with a lot of cyber insurance policies today. But is it fair for me to say that what we've just spoken about, that sort of um, data literacy, being able to create those insights, use that data to innovate and come out with new products, all that sort of thing. Is that, should that now be part of insurers, you know, value-added um, offering when it comes to cyber insurance today? I think it's a really good question. I think my, my feeling on this is very much that, you know, it's an entire value chain and we, we should be offering services along that whole value chain, uh, you know, from, from the point at which we're educating the client about risk. Uh, we're also educating the client about what they might do about the risk. Then we're educating the client about um, how they might look to put various hygiene standards in place at the, the base end, and then also check that those hygiene standards are working and you know, some form of, of sort of compliance and control around that. And only really at the end of the day, when, when all of those things are in place, should we be looking sort of, you know, to, to, to get to the point of, of risk transfer? And the, the transfer sort of sits then in the middle of, of this idea, you know, so that's what you, you know, you define very well as that sort of pre-breach or pre-event uh, idea. Yeah, what about the post-event as well? We absolutely know one of the reasons that clients buy this product is because, you know, when that event happens, be that, you know, the ransomware on the screen or, or that, you know, a data breach is discovered um, or the systems, you know, sort of shut down, they absolutely, you know, that's a state of panic. That's a state of concern. That's a state of great worry for an organization. And at that point, they need to be able to turn to experts who can help them through and calm them down and identify what the best next steps are. And frankly, you know, those value-added services are essential because actually, whilst we, you know, are fortunate enough to to face this issue every day, we're fortunate enough to talk about it every day. We're fortunate enough to, to actually be able to pay claims for, for you know, thousands of insureds. That gives us a certain amount of insight into what's best to do. And again, this comes back to that data. We're now able to say, actually, if you do X versus Y, it's going to save uh, a lot of problems and frankly, a lot of cost for everyone. You know, no one wants a claim. What they want is the claim to be dealt with the most effective way. That is true. And, and also in the, the risk mitigation of it, you know, the challenge that I, I personally would love as I think about strategy and, and how do we innovate, I was actually just in a in several meetings before our, our session here to record talking about just this. And, and one of the, the struggles that the industry has at the moment, and I recognize still, especially in providing services, I would say, Dan, maybe just going about 10 years probably tops, where we're providing these risk management services and then also the services back end on the claim. It's, it's how, in the claim, it's pretty straightforward. It's very easy to get to the insured to help deliver those services and to make sure that, that we're helping the uh, the insured to get through that really terrible moment. Um, but the question is on the risk management side, you know, in property, we're very used to a world where we have engineers on the insurance side going in, taking a look, doing inspections, making suggestions, and those suggestions are taken up and usually acted upon because the insurance industry is really seen as something which can help improve uh, one's risk controls. 
we're that's that's one of those elements that's still not quite there, not quite um, uh, utilized by the insured population, and and that's something that you know I think is out there for us to innovate and improve because what we've been trying to do, I would suggest, hasn't completely been working. Part of it is that. You know, most of uh, insurance is purchased by finance or maybe legal people. Um, but reality is this risk mostly sits within information technology and information security who are a different stakeholder team. And they do collaborate on it. They do help with these risks and, and with the, the purchase of the insurance. But we, for some reason, we haven't gotten that translation back to how insurance can help inform the decisions that are made at the risk level to, to improve that fundamental foundational risk. So, so that's a challenge for us in the industry. We've got to get through that. And I think that's a really interesting one, Max, isn't it? Because we... So we, we sort of did that to ourselves, haven't we? We, we, we spent a lot of time trying desperately to, um, you know, educate positively uh, the clients, but also in doing so, reduce the barriers to entry in, in, in the product we're, we're offering. And, and to a certain extent, actually, this product is, is you know, it is complex, it's complicated, and, and the, you know, the service it is offering has, has much nuance. And so we probably need to make sure we do a better job of, of explaining why things need to be done and why they're sort of, they're not just essential, they're, they're absolute hygiene factors before we enter into a contract with insured. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Mm. That barrier... That's part of the whole maturing process. I, I think that's, that's you know, this, this maturation of the market. Mm. Dan, that, that barrier for entry, um, I, I think it's fair to say that it's particularly high, shall we say, for uh, for those smaller and medium-sized enterprises. Um, and that's interesting because, you know, with everything that Max just spoke about in terms of risk mitigation, risk management, etc., that's particularly important for them when they don't have well, perhaps they don't have a, a risk manager or someone or a cyber or a CISO. So, you know, they need this insurance. They need the value-added services that come with it to sort of improve their cyber hygiene. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that barrier for the sort of small or medium-sized market? And what can carriers do to reduce those barriers? I think, again, this is a great question. I think we, we've done a substantial amount to reduce the barriers. We, we try and basically, you know, take the question set down to the, the minimum. Um, you know, this is, but we've got to ask enough questions for us to get a decent picture of, of the insured's, uh, you know, actions, inactions, you know, systems, um, security, posture, and, and how they're orientated towards the risk they're facing. So there's a real balance there. Um, that we've got to do. And then I think the way to do it is, is fundamentally to improve the way that we walk the, you know, the client through the rest of the journey. It's like the reason we're suggesting you do X is because it makes you Y amount better. And I think that's the next stage we as an industry have to get much better at is really, really transparently um, showing the value uh, much more of actions um, that can be taken and, and properly expressing uh, why those actions are so valuable. And I think there's a lot of, this is a very complicated subject um, and there's a lot of challenges in doing that, but it's not impossible. And it's a, certainly a task we're setting ourselves and, and a task we feel um, that, you know, we will get to. And I think, Bethan, one of the, you, you raised such a good point and Dan, you, you hit on it. You know, we really did lower those barriers to entry. I know it sounds like 
at times an insurmountable task for organization, specifically the maybe the risk manager or the person responsible for insurance buying, to to help us to obtain the information that we're asking, which is good. It's across the board. All of us insurers, including with small businesses, will ask more questions. Now, the, the flip side of that is that we're not the only ones asking about this risk. Each and every board who sits around the governance of our insurers, small businesses, medium-sized enterprises, large global corporations, every single one of them has a focus, a laser focus at the moment on cyber risk. And so I, I would hope that if we can help the, the risk manager, whoever ultimately owns risk within an organization, if, if they can look at the insurance purchase as something which helps them to better inform their board and the governance process, then potentially, you know, everything becomes to align and it's not necessarily seen as a barrier to entry, but it's seen as an enablement of that governance process, which is very important. I mean, we see it from, you know, governance on down through uh, the, the individual company uh, uh, governance uh, around um, around risk, and that, that's it's also that classic sort of risk issue, isn't it, Max? It's this idea that you know transferring is only one of the options one has. You know, exactly. you can reduce, yeah. you can avoid, you can you know, and it's it's that sort of idea of, of, of you know, or just accept the risk. And we know that we form part of, of those four options, right? and and to a certain extent. We're there. That's where these, you know, where those sort of value-added services, they better inform where risk can be reduced, where risk might need to be accepted, where risk, you know, can be avoided, and where, frankly, the, the best value is in transferring that risk. And I think that that's a really, really important. And that is a valuable service to all organisations at all sizes. Um, and so much as sort of, you know, the social value that we, we think insurance companies should be bringing to the table. Definitely. Uh, I'm going to move this on slightly to uh, another big theme at the moment in the cyber market, uh, in all markets, actually, uh, systemic risk. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic. That's arguably one of the more systemic risks we've faced recently. But in terms of cyber, you know, we're looking at things like what happens if you know one of the big four cloud providers goes down or, or there's an incident of cyber warfare that interrupts entire nations. Like these are the, the big ticket items that could you know cause mass disruption when it comes to uh, systemic risks like that you know how can insurers brokers the end insured what can they do to improve and, and sort of mitigate that risk it's, yeah welcome welcome to the, the, the world that, you know this, not necessarily the one that, that you know keeps us awake at night but it's certainly the one that takes a, a substantial amount of um, work that Matt and I do together is, is understanding <laughs> and assessing this and, and yeah. I'm trying frankly to to make sure that we move from the realms maybe of science fiction to science fact I think that's also an important um, part of, of what we do on this but it's fundamental as you say um you know, it's part of the, the double-edged sword of the, of the challenge. As people uh, increase their reliance on technology, thus, you know, that increased reliance means that there are single points of failure or perceived single points of failure that, that may inherently affect more than one organization at any one time. And with cyber, where we started, um, you know, as a privacy um, sort of focus market, really looking at data breaches, um, you know, in spite of, of what, what you know one might be told you know, there really was no magic button that could steal all the world's data at any one time however 
as the market has, has expanded and doing much more in terms of business interruption, business continuity, business resilience type coverages on top of that privacy coverage, by definition, those shared single points of failure um, and the time sensitivity of those single points of failure, be they, as you say, the cloud providers, uh, maybe they're a core piece of technology infrastructure, um, those elements being available uh, and being, you know, standing up, if they failed, then obviously a substantial proportion of, of you know, of organizations in the world would use, would, would have a problem. So we certainly can know in a terms of a deterministic scenario that what the scenarios might look like. Our next challenge is making sure that we can actually assess that on a sort of probabilistic way and really genuinely trying to understand how likely those things are to happen. And frankly, what what the organizations themselves are doing in order to prevent that themselves. So, you know, for instance, you know, Amazon Web Services and, and the other cloud providers set themselves up, you know, sort of fairly robust availability zones, you know, both regional, national and, and international. Um, you know, how much does that mitigate the risk? And understanding that is a core component uh, of, of what we're doing and, and trying to, to assess that and turn that deterministic idea of a cloud service provider falling over into a probabilistic statement of, of what that would do. And I think that is definitely a challenge because at the end of the day, our need to provide our service to our clients with continuity um, over time is, you know, is inherent on whether we can have enough capital at play in order to, to pay the valid losses when they occur. That's the one thing before I sort of hand over is because that leads me very neatly to the points that, that are there that may, frankly, uh, put that capital at threat to a level that's, that's unreasonable and, and unacceptable. And one of those is, you know, specifically, the, obviously, the war issue. You know, cyber warfare um, is something that is a, a, an exclusion across policies, frankly, because, um, you know, we're there to, to pay the privacy losses. We're there to pay sort of, you know, individual losses of, of um, you know, systemic, um, individual losses of business interruption, uh, such like, and and a number of obviously, you know, sort of smaller systemic losses. But that idea of active warfare, frankly, there isn't enough capital um, in order to be around to pay that loss. And thus, we need to make sure we ring fence the things that we aren't including. And I think that's equally important to understanding that process. Yeah, I would just add, you know, that you remind me, Dan, of the, the phrase, uh, finite capital for infinite risk, that is where insurance doesn't work. And, and you're exactly right. We have to make sure that we recognize where those boundaries exist. Otherwise, we risk bringing down the entire insurance industry. And we're always focused on that. You know, we don't want cyber to be the next uh, leader to a financial crisis. Um, and and if, if we were not paying attention to these things, um, new areas of insurance could be that, you know, that, that's, that is the risk that we run. It's the reason that, um, that we're here and, and paying so much attention to these types of issues. Um, and, but I would say, you know, just translating again from the macro sense where we're looking across our folks at business and making sure that we understand um, those, those types of events, so do um, the companies. And I think what Dan said is so relevant here that I, I would love for all of our listeners to, to, to recall is that there is an element of sensational aspect around cyber risk. That's the, the science fiction element. And there is there is what is factually possible and, and able to happen. And 
you know, speaking with the risk owners, speaking with the technologists, it's part of the reason, you know, we don't just rely on our team in-house to, to inform us around, you know, what is good security, what is bad, what's possible, what isn't possible. But we do work with, you know, some of the, the, the cottage industry that sits around us, so security, um, privacy consultants, uh, et cetera, uh, who can help us to, to make sure that we're informed about what is fact versus what is fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, brilliant. Well, Dan and Max, we are sort of coming to the end of our time, but I, I hate to end a conversation on a, well, we were talking about cyber warfare. That's a, a little bit of a negative, shall we say. So um, maybe we can end with one sort of quick forward-looking question. Um, sort of, I'd love to get your perspective, both of you, on perhaps what's the, the most exciting thing on the horizon for, for cyber insurance in, in 2021. You know, we're, we're approaching the end of a rather crazy year, but What's on the horizon? What's got sort of piqued your interest for the next year or so? Max, that's in your wheelhouse. Your, your yeah, I, yeah. innovation. Give us the over the horizon view, my friend. <laughs> well, why don't I start? Yeah, I, I couldn't be more excited for 2021. Uh, the reason being, uh, it's not because a hardening, firming market is coming and a lot of people think, gosh, that is the underwriter's you know, that's where they make hay and they get a lot of premium. That's actually not why I'm excited. I'm excited because we talked about it earlier. We have a chance to really bring this cyber insurance market forward and to mature it in a way that in the first 20 years we couldn't do. But within one year, we can make up a lot of time and a lot of ground. If we do it as well as we possibly can as an industry, I actually think, you know, look, Lloyd's is 330-something years old, um, and, and our industry is, is that plus some. I've I, I got to believe that we can make up a lot of the difference between a 20-year-old um, cyber insurance market versus the 300-plus-year uh, insurance industry um, by taking advantage of 2021 and maturing it in the ways of collecting good data, understanding that data making sure that as we collect information from insurers that it gets translated into risk mitigation and meets up with the, the same questions that the governance structures, the boards are asking of the risk owners, and that we find the right point of transfer to the insurance market that is sustainable over time. I, I couldn't be more excited. I, I really felt like in the past five, 10 years, because we tried to lower the barriers to entry in order to build the market, that we were going to potentially run out of runway where, you know, we didn't have a full appreciation of the capital and the risk that we were taking. And going forward, we're going to have, you know, perfect um, visibility into that if we do this well. So that's what that's what really does excite me. I know it, it may sound like I turn everything on its head to try to find the positive side. It's, it's not that. It, this is truly that one moment in time that we have, that chance. And if we don't get it right, gosh, you know, we could go through this kind of um, roller coaster ride of an insurance, cyber insurance market for years. Well, I, well, it uh, seems like a very exciting time, um, excellent time to be in cyber. I certainly enjoy writing about it uh, and reading about it every day. So, um, brilliant. Well, Dan, Max, thank you very much for that um, very interesting discussion uh, and lots to take away for our listeners. So, uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ben. Thanks. Always great to share the space with you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your insights. Yes, thanks, Bethan.
Thanks, guys. And, and thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. Uh, I'm Bethan Moorcraft, Deputy Editor at Insurance Business, and this was IBA Talk, the Insurance Business America podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of IBA Talk. For more information on cyber coverage solutions and other specialty risk areas, visit accesscapital.com slash insurance. That's accesscapital.com slash insurance for more. Follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for the latest episodes.